Today's reading is from Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jono. Uh, Morning, everyone. If we've not met, my name is Matt Fuller. Let's pray together. Our great God and Father, you know the concerns of our hearts as we uh, wander in this morning and uh, the anxieties that may fill our minds or certainly the thoughts. Please, would your spirit be at work so as we meet you in the scriptures this morning, we would behold you in in a manner which transforms our thinking, our emotions, our lives this week and beyond. Father, would we behold you, see you rightly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the question that God's people are asking uh, in Isaiah 40 is, does God care? Does he care? Well, it seems fairly timeless, isn't it? Hard not to ask that sometimes. Uh, Does God care for my health? When uh, some are obviously here. Struggling at the moment, immediate threat, long-term conditions. Does God care about my kids? Because it's not straightforward at the moment. And I have deep anxieties about what is happening. Does God care about my work? The fact that it's unbelievably stressful. I'm wondering if the things are holding together. I fear for my job. I'm out of work, I wonder what happens next. Does God care? Maybe certainly our longer think, longer term thinking, does God care about the ones I love most, uh, who, who, 
who don't know Jesus, and I fear for my, maybe parents, getting older, and I fear for their eternity. Does God not care for the things that I care about? Does God not care? What about his church? As the Church of England hits self-destruct, does God not care? National church is useful, isn't it? Does he not care? Well, not that much probably about one church or denomination. But surely he cares that well, the majority of this country don't show a great deal of interest in Jesus. Does he not care? Has God given up? Well, those are the questions that the people are asking in the 6th century B.C., which is where we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 40. Does God care? And can he do anything? So we'll get there next time, but verse 27 of chapter 40, we didn't read it this morning, but reveals what's going on and and why this chapter is written. So uh, the Lord says in verse 27 of chapter 40, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you see that's what they're saying? God doesn't see what's going on. And he doesn't care about what's going on in my life, in our life as a nation. He just doesn't care. And God says, why would you say that? I care enormously. Isaiah 40 is a long, vivid response to that. God saying, yes, I care. Just look at me. Will you please behold me? That's what you need to do. And that's what we're going to do. We're three weeks in this chapter. Uh, These first 11 verses, yes, the Lord brings comfort. Uh, Next time, 12 to 26, 7, no one compares to him. Uh, And then the last chunk, he strengthens the weak. And um, Rare is the time or season in life where a block of Isaiah 40 doesn't do you much good. I need to know that he strengthens the weak, that he cares, that he's uniquely, incomparably able to assist his people. Look at your God. At the risk of sounding uncaring, I almost want to say, it just doesn't matter what's going on in your life today. What you need to do is behold your God. That's what you need. Let's uh, orientate ourselves a little bit, because uh, why are we in chapter 40 of Isaiah? What's happened to the other 39 chapters? Well, we've looked at them. Um, uh, Isaiah, a big book, of course. Uh, it's broad movement, taking a, a, a proud and corrupt people to be uh, a humble and dependent, glorious people. Uh, I guess the question over the whole of the book of Isaiah it would be, who do you trust? But we've looked, we've spent, uh, we started a few years ago, um, and um, uh, regulars, if you've forgotten, we're, we're a block a year. Uh, so we looked at 1 to 12. Uh, broadly, the easiest way to think of it is in these two halves. The book of warnings, chapters 1 to 39, and the book of comforts, um, common headings used for the two halves of Isaiah. And uh, we took a chunk a year, if you've uh, been with us, um, and then we pick it up uh, now in chapters 40 to 48. We'll look at this term, comfort after the exile, will you trust in the Lord's servant? Uh, and then, God willing, we'll finish this time in 2025, um, uh, looking at the future with uh, 56 uh, to 66, that's the plan, um, 
these blocks that we've looked at. Now, um, last time uh, we finished the oopsie, um, we finished the section one to thirty-nine. If you remember it, uh, about a year ago, uh, chapter thirty-nine, um, the story thirty-six, thirty-nine, the invasion of uh, Israel and. Uh, well, Sennacherib is the, is the man in the Assyrians in, in 701 BC. And that's sort of where it ended. That was pushed away. But if you glance back down, the king at the time, he was a good king, Hezekiah, but he was told in chapter 39 of Isaiah and verse 6 that because the people had rejected God, eventually they would be broken. So uh, chapter 39, maybe verse 5. Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come where everything in your palace, all that your predecessors have stored up until that day, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. That's in about 701 BC. And now we pick up the story. Years. A long time, if you can see the... We jump from 701 BC to 586 BC, not because Isaiah lived to a particularly long vintage, but this section 40 to the end of the book, he wrote it, sealed it, and said, you will need this because Jerusalem will be invaded, Jerusalem will be broken. And of course, it happened under the Babylonians uh, in about 586 BC. They came, smashed, and the whole of Israel is driven out. And so this, we're reading Isaiah 40, is what, nigh on 200 years later. And Isaiah is writing these words to a people who are broken and disillusioned. They've been invaded and deported, crushed. So when they ask in verse 27, doesn't God care? It's a reasonable question given what they've experienced it's not that they're living comfortable, affluent lives and say, why doesn't God? Everything's gone. They've lost a lot. At that moment, they're saying, does God not care? So what we're reading in Isaiah 40 is, it's words that God gave to Isaiah, a bit like I could write a letter now, seal it up and say, open upon my death. Uh, there's all these words written down, open them up. You'll need them after the conquest. Babylon's come and smashed Jerusalem. You will need these then. And out these words come. Let's turn then to, to, to the text, which is really the Lord saying, yes, I, I care deeply for you, and I alone can help you. Look at me. Chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In English, we might say, there, there, or it's okay. It's okay, it's okay. There's a gentle tone here. God is not distant. He, he knows how his people feel. It's still true. He knows how you're feeling. And uh, although we've had 39 chapters of warning in the book of Isaiah, here we come to comfort. And just sometimes we just need reminding if we've been Christians for decades or just informing if we're not yet. Christianity is fundamentally a word of comfort to those who have failed rather than a word of challenge to do better. It's just, Isaiah 40 reminds us that. It's a word of comfort to those who failed, much, much more than a challenge to do better. Jesus came 
to save a people from sin who had failed. He didn't say, well, I'll only turn up if you do better. It's comfort. The, the verb is plural, speak tenderly to uh, Jerusalem. You lot speak tenderly uh, uh, to one another is, is what's going on. Speak to, well, speak literally to the heart. Speak tenderly or, or speak to the heart. Address the core of these people, their will, their choices. It's not um, uh, just a, a word to comfort. It's a word to persuade, to, to inform. When you address the heart, you're addressing everything uh, of the people. God cares for you. He alone can help you. Four little words. Four little words of comfort. Very straightforward. Uh, and then we'll just work through them in turn. He pays for sin. He came himself. His word endures. He gathers the lost. Be comforted. First, uh, just verse two, he pays for sin. So speak tenderly to Jerusalem, proclaim to her, verse two, that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. So it's, it's the same truth, really, said in, in three ways. Tell these people of Judah, okay, they were invaded in, in, in seven, uh, excuse me, in um, in 586 uh, BC and, and smashed, and for 70 years they're in exile, 70 years just scattered amongst the nations. Tell them it's finished. So three ways it's said there. Service is completed. Their sin has been paid for. Received from the Lord's hand double. It's the sense of folding something up. If you get a big sheet and say, well, can you come and give me a hand to fold the sheet? Uh, and you fold it together. Um, recompense has happened. What's been wrong has been atoned for. That's the, there's the sense of, of the double here. It's done. Well, there's encouragement. That is what the Lord offers to Pay for sin. I mean, it's familiar truth, of course. Um, language, if you're a Christian, is super familiar. What was our confession today? Did you even notice it? Um, we sort of do a confession every week. We, we declare a confession collectively together. Did you even notice it? It's easy not to, isn't it? I think, you, you know, if the kid's gone out, did, did I give the bottle? Have you got a spare bit of food? Um, who's that person? I've, I've forgotten their name. What are they called? Um, uh, why do we... Why, why? Do you remember? What do we confess this morning? Heavenly Father, you've loved us with an everlasting love. But we've turned against you, ignoring you, rejecting your will for our lives. We've been stubborn and rebellious. Just what are we saying there? Just this morning, the moments when we're selfish rather than kind, self-absorbed rather than concerned with others, utterly independent rather than looking to the Lord. That's the rebellion we've spoken of, sin. It's hard as it sometimes, it's just such a familiar word. The, um, uh, one of the very, 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 very few things useful about COVID, um, because there wasn't a lot, was there? Uh, we all realized that germs, they spread quite easily. I mean, I guess we all knew that, but all of a sudden, when you become obsessive and, and you, know, you have to rub disgusting goo over your hands until they turn into... Um, like whatever, something awful. Um, uh, sandpaper, I think is the word. Um, you, germs. Do you remember the, um, uh, it did the rounds, the, the, the slow-mo of someone sneezing? Do you remember that? that was just disgusting, wasn't it? 
really, really disgusting. You see someone sneeze and these droplets go. Like, and they, oh, oh no. And they really, and they just, it's like, oh, it's disgusting. Uh, yeah, you do that all the time. Oh, no, right. Um, mustn't do that. Uh, because we realize that germs spread quite easily. And it's helpful because, particularly in the Old Testament, one of the recurrent pictures of sin is it's like sickness. It just spreads. We, we think it's a small thing, but the droplets damage our sin. Anyway, sorry to remind you of that. Very grim, wasn't it? So here is a proclamation to the people in 586. The Lord has paid for sin. But it's a slightly odd thing. Because how can a few decades in exile, 70 years, how can that pay for centuries and centuries and centuries of their sin? Doesn't seem to make sense. Or the answer is going to come in a few chapters' time. A a saviour will come, actually. Another one will come. A servant will pay for their sin. Okay, comfort. He pays for sin, this God. He pays for sin. He came himself, uh, verses 3 to 5. The the comfort um, God offers is not just an end to punishment. He himself comes, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level. The rugged places are plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together. In other words, there is no barrier that can stop God coming. That's the point of those verses. Everything becomes straight. Valleys raised, mountains lowered. You just can't stop him coming. Now, humans have great ingenuity. We can do a lot. The Victoria Line, I mean, very impressive. All right, five years late, uh, but only one of those was due to COVID. But, but, you know, a few years late, but very impressive. But there's quite a lot that stops. HS2, half speed two. It's um, uh, very impressive, apart from now he's not even going to make it to London. Did you read that? The paper this week is going to end somewhere in, uh, in um, Ealing or something because I can't even get it into central London. A madness. Um, but because um, there's... Too many obstacles, too many people won't sell there. Nothing stops God. Nothing stops the Lord. That's the point of these verses. You're a Christian, you know that the New Testament takes verses 3 to 5 and says that, well, they are all about Jesus. Perhaps Luke's gospel is, is the one which pulls them out most. Luke chapter 2, we, made an old, we meet an old man called Simeon. And we're told he's waiting for the comfort of Israel. We're meant to say, or consolation, depends how it's translated, but ah, comfort, Israel, Isaiah 40. That's what Simeon is waiting for. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist prepares the way for the Lord. And these verses are quoted. Of course, God comes. He comes in Jesus Christ, and his glory is revealed. That is a spectacular comfort. On, uh, on Tuesday night, uh, so at the moment, Tuesday night's honest questions uh, uh, just around the corner for, uh, for some in the church family or, or to bring their guests to. So uh, on Tuesday night, uh, honest question, what was the question? Uh, uh, where is hope in a world filled with pain? 
was uh, Tuesday night. And uh, one of the guests, who's not a Christian, thinking things through, um, was engaged. And we, we, on my table, we looked at um, Luke chapter 7, the widow of Nain. Do you remember the story? This widow got no other relatives. Her only child dies. And we're told Jesus sees this on a very raw occasion. The first century, you'd, you'd funerals on the same day, hot, no fridges to put bodies in, raw. This widow has lost everything, only relative, therefore only source of income. We're just told Jesus' heart goes out. It depends how it's translated, or he's filled with compassion, or he finds the scenario gut-wrenching and goes and says to the dead body young man, get up. And we're told his very lovely phrase, he gets, he comes back to life and Jesus returns him to his mother. He gave him back. And uh, this, we were talking about this, this woman said, okay, uh, look at, you know, pain, suffering in this world. It is a bit confusing why God would allow suffering, but golly, it helps to see that. That when God came into this world, he's like that. He cares and he can act. Well, yeah, it makes a massive difference. He pays for sin. He came himself. His word endures, verses 6 to 8. And here we get a contrast. God is unstoppable in verses 3 to 5. The people, well, we're frail and fleeting. So verse 6, a voice cries out. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because of the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. People are like grass in a hot place. Do you remember, um, uh, was it July? July, we hit 40 degrees in London. <gasps> and, um, you know, you couldn't do anything outside. You couldn't take your dogs outside or, you know, or anything. Everyone was just sort of feeble and collapsing. And, um, of course, all the grass is just dead. Uh, I mean, we've got a lovely park near us. It was just brown brown lump of mud. It was, you know, caked hard. It was grim. That, of course, Israel in the summer, a bit higher than that, 50 degrees. That, there's nothing left. I mean, his point here, of course, is we don't last very long. People are like grass. They don't last very long. But acutely, the, the contrast is between the faithfulness of God and the faithfulness of man. So verse 6, people are like grass, their faithfulness goes quickly. Verse 6, excuse me, verse 8, the grass withers and the flowers fall like humans do and like their faithfulness, like their reliability, but, verse 8, the word of God endures forever. Do you see the contrast between the faithfulness of humans and uh, the reliability of God's word? You can rely on him in a way you can't on anyone else. So the, you've got a problem at home and you, the plumber comes, yeah, I'll be there before four o'clock, and then you ring him up at six o'clock, you haven't come, yeah, I know. I know I said I'd be there, but something else came up. And you think, oh, cheers. Uh, or the boss says, yeah, yeah, you'll get a pay rise in January. And you say, what happened to the pay rise? Well, something came up, didn't it? You know, things haven't been going so well. Or the friend who says, I'll always be there, and, and then in adversity, what happened? Yeah, I'm sorry, my life was busy. Yeah, that's humans, isn't it? I mean, not all the time, helpfully, sometimes the plumber does turn up. Um, uh, 
The contrast, though, you could always rely upon the word of the Lord. He never lets you down. Ever. The people are asking, God, do you care? And he says, yeah, I've told you I do. And I don't change my mind. And sometimes, for you and me in, in the worst moments, of course, we, we do need to turn back to the Scriptures and say, what has God promised? It's not always ease <laughs> and straightforward and problem-free. In fact, those promises aren't for this life. They're for the next. But he does promise that he's with us in the adversity. And worth asking, what promises the Lord made that he's not delivered? That's a zero. There are many troubles in this life. His word tells us that, but he'll give us the strength to endure through them. He pays for sin. He came himself. His word endures last. He gathers the lost. Verses 9 to 11. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Or you equally translate it, behold your God. Verse 10, see or behold, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. So three times in quick succession here. Behold, look, hear, see. Look at him. Grammatically, there are two things they're commanded to do. Verse uh, 9 is the first. Lift up your voice. See, you told it a couple of times. Lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up and don't be afraid. The good news of God's coming, the good news of his forgiveness of sin, it's not merely for you to enjoy Jerusalem. You're meant to tell others, Jerusalem, uh, about this good news. Lift up your voice. Jerusalem, take this news to the rest of the country. Uh, I guess for you and me, church, this is good news for you, but take it to the rest of the country to the world. Lift up your voice. Speak. Speak of God's goodness. But if you're going to do that, verse 10, you've got to see. You need to know. You Behold. You need to look. See. See the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. In fact, you have these two pictures, verses 10 and 11, side by side. He is both conquering king, verse 10, and tender shepherd, and that is one of the glories of our God that you see acutely in Jesus Christ. He is tough and he's tender. The perfect combination of them both. You and I may lean in one direction or another. He is both, always, and perfectly so. So he's conquering king, verse 10. He comes with power. He rules with 
a mighty arm. The picture is a sort of, roll, he rolls up his sleeves. Okay, you know, I've warmed up now for the tennis match or whatever it may be. I, don't, I take off my kit, but, you know, I take off my jacket and, um, you know, now I'm rolling up my sleeves. Come on then, enough mucking about. Let's get it on. Let's do it. It's that sort of picture. He's got a mighty arm. He rolls up his sleeve and he brings, happily, a massive reward with him for his people. His reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. Well, that's worth looking forward to. But verse 11, the one with a mighty arm is also tender. He tends his flock like a shepherd. The arm that can just blow everyone away. The arm that is just like a, a, a massive boxer arm wrestling his six-month-year-old kid. That one is also the arm that holds the same child in his arms. It's lovely, isn't it, verse 11? He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Isn't that a great picture? That is what the living God wants you to know he does for you. To gather you in his arms and hold you close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young, not aggressively, not forcibly, he gently leads. What an extraordinary combination. And of course we could say this morning, it doesn't feel very much like that at the moment. I don't feel like I'm being held close to the Lord's heart and gently led. It feels like I'm being bruisingly dragged through a fence and a hedge and it hurts and it's painful. Yeah, yeah. But this is also true. I remember his faithfulness never ends. This is your God. He's a conquering king and a tender shepherd. He says, I care for you deeply. I alone can help you. Isn't that combination, though, of toughness and tenderness, isn't it just magic when you see it together? You do see it acutely in Jesus, of course. It's beautiful when you see him tough and he protects his children and tough and he confronts false teachers and warns them of the burdens they'll place on his children Oh, he's pretty formidable and yet tender as he raises the only child of a poor widow and says, here he is, have him back. So behold your God. Know these truths, he pays for sin. He came himself. His word endures. You can always trust what he says. He gathers the lost See, even in the pain now, he is leading you. He is holding you. He won't let you be damaged by others. He protects. Now, of course, it doesn't feel that sometimes. But he'll get you to heaven. He'll keep you safe there. Yeah, there's troubles along the way. Isaiah is writing this to a people who've lost everything. He's not saying it's easy, but he is saying, look at your God. He cares deeply. 
And in the combination of toughness, tenderness, all-conquering king, shepherd, he is the one that you need. Look at him. Behold your God as he addresses you with words of comfort. Let's pray together. Father, here is truth that we need. We need it wherever we're at. We need to know that you're the one who uh, atones, pays for sin. We need to know that in the Lord Jesus, there's, there's a way to know you deeply as Father through the forgiveness that he offers. We need to know that you're a God of comfort, that primarily in the gospel we have a word of comfort for the failed rather than challenge because we know we're, we're sinful people. Father, we need to know in our pain, in our brokenness, in our sense of feeling we've lost everything, that you care deeply. You still are shepherding us. You will bring us home and reward. Father, help us to not just read these words, not just understand these words, not just to look at you, but to behold you and see you in a word that brings us the deep comfort for our souls that we need. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.